I keep falling in love with him over and over and over and over again. He gets sweeter and sweeter as the days go by. Oh, what a love between my Lord and I. I keep falling in love with him over and over and sing it again. I keep falling. I keep falling in love with him over and over and over and over again. I keep falling in love with him over and over and over and over again. He gets sweeter and sweeter as the days go by. Oh, what a love between my Lord and I. I keep falling in love with him over and over and over and over again. Now, some of you weren't in here just a couple weeks ago. We went around the room on a Wednesday night crowd, and we asked how long some had been saved, and we had some that had been saved for 40, 50 years plus. And I know for sure we have in the crowd tonight someone who was saved last Saturday. And so I know that whatever, wherever you fall in that range, you can say, hey, the day I got saved, that was a wonderful day. When heaven came down and glory filled my soul, sing that song with me tonight. Oh, what a wonderful day. Oh, what a wonderful, wonderful day. Day I will never forget. After I'd wandered in darkness away, Jesus, my Savior, I met. Oh, what a tender, compassionate friend. He met the need of my heart. Shadows dispelling with joy, I am telling. He made all the darkness depart. Sing now. Heaven came down and glory filled my soul. When at the cross the Savior made me My sins were washed away, and my night was turned to day. Heaven came down, and glory filled my soul. Born of the Spirit, born of the Spirit, with life from above, into God's family divine. Listen to the doctrine. I love this. Oh, what a standing. Standing is mine, and the transaction so quickly was made. When as a sinner I came, took of the offer of grace, he did proffer, he saved me, oh praise his dear name. Heaven came down and glory filled my soul. When at the cross the Savior made me whole. My sins were washed away, and my night was turned to day. Heaven came down, and glory filled my soul. Now I have a hope, sing it with me. Now I have a hope that will surely endure after the passing of time. I have a future in heaven for sure, there in those mansions of life. And it's because of that wonderful day, when at the cross I believed. Rich is eternal and blessing supernal, from his precious hand I received. Heaven came down and glory filled my soul. When at the cross the Savior made me whole, my sins were washed away, and my night was turned to day. Heaven came down and glory filled my soul. Be thankful for salvation tonight. Another song we love to sing around here really excited about this one tonight. My name is in the book of life. Sing it with me. If you don't know it, you'll catch on pretty quick, I've, I imagine. Let's sing it. My name is in the book of life. Oh, bless the name of Jesus. 
I rise above all doubt and strife and read my title clear. I know, I know my name is there. I know, I know my name is written there. My name once stood with sinners lost and bore a painful record. But by his blood the Savior crossed and placed it on his roll. I know. Sing it. My name is there. I know, I know my name is written there. Yet inward trouble locked and cast a shadow o'er my title. But now with full salvation blessed, praise God it's ever clear. I know, I know my name is there. I know, I know my name is written there. While others climb through worldly strife to carve a name of honor, high up in heaven's book of life, my name is written. Sing it now. I know, I know my name is there. I know. Let's have the instruments drop out. We'll sing a cappella. Sing it with me now. I know, I know my name is there. I know, I know my name is written there. Amen. Praise the Lord for that good singing. You may be seated. And Pastor, you can come. Amen. Thank you, Brother Mike. Philippians chapter 4 tonight, if you would. Philippians chapter 4. The judge owned a gated mansion in the Hamptons. His swimming pool was shaped like a dollar sign. He smoked Cuban cigars, wore Armani suits, and drove a 911 Porsche Carrera Coupe with a personalized license plate that bore the words, My Way. He was on the payroll of every mafia boss and drug dealer on the eastern seaboard. They kept him in office. He kept them out of jail. They gave him boats. He gave them a free walk. Sweet. He was a crook. His mother knew it. His priest knew it. God knew it. The judge could care less. He never gave a second thought or an honest person. He never gave God a second thought or an honest person a second chance. According to Jesus, the judge was a scoundrel. Such begins Max Lucado, one of my favorite writers. Such begins his humorous version of a parable that is found in the book of Luke. Some of you may be familiar with it. It's the parable of the unjust judge and the widow. And he goes on to write, speaking of the judge, <clears throat> he certainly didn't care about the widow. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary, Luke 18.3. We'll call her Ethel. She had a homely look to her, hair tied in a bun, plaid dress, old jogging shoes that appeared to have been rescued from a yard sale. In parentheses, an independent Baptist from the days gone by. No, that's not in there. If the judge was a Cadillac, he said Ethel was a clunker. But for an old clunker, she had a lot of horsepower. She was determined to escape a certain adversary, a bill collector, 
angry landlord, oppressive neighbor. Someone had turned against her. Someone had resolved to take her to the cleaners. She pleaded her case and begged for justice. No luck. She exhausted every possible solution. Finally, on a burst of chutzpah, she sought the assistance of the judge. Every morning when he stepped out of his limo, there Ethel stood on the courthouse sidewalk. Can I have a minute, Your Honor? When he exited his chambers, Ethel was waiting in the hallway. Judge, I need your help. At Giovanni's, where the judge ate lunch, she approached his table. Just a few minutes of your time. How she got past the maitre d', the judge never knew. But there she was. Ethel even sat in the front row of the courtroom during trials, holding up a cardboard sign that read, Can you help me? This is my favorite. During his Saturday morning golf game, she walked out of the bushes near the fourth green. Your Honor, I have a request. She tapped him on the shoulder as he walked into the theater. Pardon me, sir. I need your help. Ethel also annoyed the judge's wife. She hounded the judge's secretary. Do something about Ethel, they demanded. She's a pest. And he would not for a while, Luke 18, 4. One day when they said the coast was clear, he dashed from his office to his limo and jumped in the back seat, only to be confronted by you-know-who. Ethel was in the car. He was stuck. He took one look at her and sighed. Lady, you don't get it, do you? I don't like people. I don't believe in God. There is nothing good in me, yet you keep asking me to help you. Just a small favor, Ethel asked, holding her thumb a quarter inch from her forefinger. He growled through his clenched teeth, anything to get rid of you. What do you want? She spilled out a story that included the words widow broke and the phrase eviction notice. The judge stared out the car window as she pleaded for his intervention. He thought to himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. When she finally paused to take a breath, he waved her silent. Okay, okay, I'll give you what you want. You will? Yes, on one condition, anything. You get out of my life. Yes, I promise, Ethel Bean. Can I give you a hug? He told her no, but she did anyway. She jumped out of the car and danced a jig on the sidewalk. The dishonest judge rode away, grumbling, and we, the readers, Look up from Luke's gospel and wonder, what is this story doing in the Bible? Now, if you turn to Luke 18, you won't find that version. <laughs> in any version. All right, that's Max Licato's version. And he, he, I love the way he writes. He just brings stories like that to life. Again, I love the one where on the, the fourth green, she jumps out of the bushes. and I can just see that happening, this... Lady, she needed help. But here's what you have to understand about this parable tonight. And if you don't understand it, and you're going to come away thinking that God is like the reluctant judge, we are like the widow, and that prayer is a matter of pestering God until he breaks down and gives us what we want. But that's not the case at all. This parable is one of contrast, not comparison. Jesus is arguing from the lesser to the greater. As a matter of fact, he goes on to say in that parable, And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. 
Listen, God is not the reluctant judge, and we're not the widow. The widow in this story, this parable that Jesus told, was on the bottom rung of the pecking order. She had nowhere to turn. But as as children of the king, if you will, listen, we're at the front of the line. And at any moment, we can turn to God. And he will never, listen to me to church, listen to me church, he will never, he'll never be put out. He'll never get ticked off that we're coming to him again. Now, if you're wondering what in the world this has to do with putting your anxiety to rest, I want you to look with me at our text tonight, Philippians chapter 4, and we're going to look at verse 6. Again, Paul said, be careful. That word means to be anxious. It means to be worrisome. And remember, he's speaking here of something that is continual, something that is perpetual, something that goes on and on and on and on and on. And and I want to drive this home to you in this series that there will come moments in time when every one of us are anxious, when every one of us become worried about particular things. That's not what Paul's talking about. What he's talking about is when we continue and we persist in that anxiety and in that worry and in being over-concerned. And Paul said we shouldn't be that way about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be known unto God. So in this verse, Paul is calling us to take action against our anxiety. Now, those that have been here for this series to this point, I've I've talked about God's character. We spent three messages. Paul said, rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say, rejoice. And I'm thankful tonight that he included the phrase, in the Lord. Because there are some things that come into our life that there just doesn't seem to be anything to rejoice about. And Paul is not telling us here, hey, it doesn't matter what comes in your life, you just rejoice. That's not his point. His point is this, it doesn't matter what comes into your life, you can still rejoice in the Lord. We can rejoice in the Lord's sovereignty, knowing that he's in control. That, that he's not lost control of this world. He's not lost control of your life. God is in control. He has his hand in everything and using it to bring and to accomplish his purpose in your life. So we can rejoice in his sovereignty. And then we talked about the fact that we can rejoice in his mercy. And we talked about the fact that one of the greatest things that brings anxiety into the life of a believer is the, is is. Uh, um, guilt because of our past. We, we look back and uh, things we did or, or the way we lived or the people we heard and, and it brings us guilt and it brings us anxiety. But listen to me tonight. God is a God of mercy and God is a God of forgiveness. And we can rejoice when, when we're overridden with guilt and, and anxiety because of, uh, of those things in our past. Listen, all we've got to do is remember, I prayed and I asked God to forgive me. And God is a forgiving God. And we can rejoice in His sovereignty and we can rejoice in His mercy. And then last week we talked about the fact that we can rejoice In the fact that he's near, we can rejoice in his nearness. Paul said, the Lord is at hand. Now it's our turn to act on that truth. We choose prayer over despair because peace happens when people pray. Look at it again. We choose prayer over despair because peace happens when people pray. Note here in our text that Paul says that we're to pray about the big things, the important things, right? Some of you don't have a clue. You don't have a Bible. 
So I could tell you that, and you go, yeah, yeah, that's right, preacher. No, that's not right. What does he say? Okay, all right, time out. Act like you're here because you want to be, and not because you have to be. All right? It's not my fault you didn't bring a Bible tonight. That's on you. So if you don't know the answer to the question, then that's on you. That's not on me. All right, time in. He says that we're to pray about what? Everything. everything. Not just the big things. He said in everything by prayer. I want you to, to look at this with me. We are prone to pray about the big things in life and forget to pray about the so-called little things until they grow and become what? Big things. That's pretty convicting. We got these big things going on, and, and we pray about these, and you got these little things. Ah, I can handle this. I can do this. I'm good with this. But here's what happened, church. Those things that yesterday was just a little thing. How many of you found this to be true in your life? Those things have a way of growing and becoming greater in our life. Absolutely. So we need to pray, Paul said, about everything. Talking to God about everything that concerns us is an important step toward putting our anxiety to rest. As someone once quipped, why worry when you can pray? We look at that like this, why pray when I can worry? The biblical response, the biblical approach is why worry when we can pray? The words that, that Paul uses in this verse speak of adoration and, of course, supplication and then appreciation. So let's look at them here uh, back in, in verse 6. Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let's talk about the word prayer for a minute this is the general word that is used for making our request known to the lord it carries the idea of adoration carries the idea of devotion it carries the idea of worship so in other words when we find ourselves worrying our first action ought to be to get alone with god and worship him. Adoration is what's needed. When I think of the word adoration, the, the word that comes to my mind is adore. We need to take time to simply adore who God is and, and, and worship who he is. And it's an amazing thing when that happens, church, those things that seem to be uh, uh, caving in on us and, and falling in on us, those, those things seem to diminish in size and in intensity when we turn our eyes upon Jesus. What the songwriter say? The things of earth shall grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. So when we're anxious and we're we're, we're over-worrisome about whatever it is in our life. Listen, that, that's our clue. Listen, I've got to get away from this. I've got to get alone. I've got to spend some time adoring the Lord and worshiping the Lord and turning my thoughts toward heavenly things and toward the power of God and the might of God and the nearness of God. Adoration, again, is what's needed. We must see the greatness and the majesty of God. Listen, we must realize at that moment that He is big enough to solve our problems. Remember, He's sovereign, He's merciful, and He's near. And then Paul uses the word supplication. The, the Greek word that is used here comes from another word that literally means to beg. 
In other words, Paul teaches us here that there needs to be some intensity in our praying. When I preach uh, in various churches around, and I, I may preach a message, and, and in that message I may use the story of, of my mom getting saved on a Sunday morning in Fellowship Baptist Church in 1989, and I'm, I'm never ashamed to tell people when I share that story and I give that testimony, I am never ashamed to tell them that that morning in 1989, I was literally begging God. In the most, most literal way that I can use the word beg, I remember that morning praying and weeping and literally, literally, without any shame, begging God to save her. And that's the kind of prayer that Paul is talking about here that will help rid us of our anxiety. And I understand in Matthew chapter 6, the Bible says that we're not heard because of our much speaking. But listen, the Lord does desire for us to come to Him with a sense of sincerity and eagerness. God is not pleased with us just going through the motions of prayer. Praying with intensity and begging God should not be difficult when praying about those things that are bringing us anxiety. The fact that my mom was lost and literally on her way to hell brought great anxiety because I knew what that meant. And that morning, I was as sincere in my praying for her as I had been in a long time. And certainly at any other time since 1976, when I myself got saved and got concerned about my parents. And again, that morning, I was praying with an intensity that, that I can't even begin to explain to you. Prayer, Paul said, supplication. And then he used the word with thanksgiving. And when I, when I started this series, this Wednesday night series on a Sunday morning, it was around Thanksgiving time, and I started it with a message with, on thanksgiving. And so I'm not going to spend a lot of time here tonight, but let me just refresh your memory a bit with some quotes from that message. Here's one of the things I said on that Sunday morning. Among the help me and please give me and Lord show me phrases in our prayers should be the words thank you. At some point, there should be a thank you. Brother Tyler and Jenny and Kevin left today for Indianapolis. I texted him. I said, listen, before you leave town, make sure you bring Kevin by my office so I can see him. And so they brought Kevin, Brother Tyler brought Kevin by my office, and I gave him a hug, told him I wanted him to have a good time, blah, 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 being a good, good papa. And then I reached in my pocket, and I pulled out a $20 bill and gave it to him. He looked, he said, oh, 100 bucks. And his dad said, no, that's 20 bucks. And so we turned off and started going. His dad said, hey, 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 hey. You get back here and tell Papa thank you. How many times are we like Kevin? God, do this and do this and give me this and help me here and help me there. And God, do all of these things. Amen. And I wonder how many times God wants to go, hey, 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 hey. Why don't you come back here and say thank you for what I've already done. For the help I've already given. For the prayers I've already answered. For the fears I've already helped you overcome. So there ought to be some, some time 
of thanksgiving in our praying. And then I, then I reminded you of this. What you have in Christ is greater than anything you don't have in life. That's something to be thankful for. What we have in Christ is better than anything we don't have in life. So be thankful. Then I close the message with, with these three questions. Number one, am I a thankful person? Think about that. Am I a thankful person? Number two, am I seeing the blessings of thankfulness in my life? And then the third question was this, am I choosing thankfulness over complaining moment by moment? And then I shared something that Pastor James McDonald explains in one of his books. He said, attitudes, and complaining is an attitude. He said, attitudes are patterns of thinking formed over a long period of time. All right, let me say it again. Attitudes are patterns of thinking formed over a long period of time. But then he says this, those long periods of time accumulate moment by moment, choice by choice. Choosing to be thankful and praying with thanksgiving is a moment by moment choice. You can get out of the prison of anxiety by making one good choice at a time. Does that make sense? One good choice at a time. It's kind of like eating an elephant. How do you do that? One bite at a time. How do we get out of the prison of anxiety by making one good choice and then another good choice, and another good choice. And that certainly involves prayer. And that's why Paul is telling us here. He goes on in verse 7, The peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God is the opposite of anxiety and worry. And Paul said, if you want that to be your lot in life, then you have to learn to pray about everything. Well, I don't want to bother God with the little things. Time out. To God, everything's little. You ever thought about that? To God, everything's little. Name one thing that's big to God. Now, granted, I understand it's big to us, but we're not the creator of the universe. We're not the one that made everything. We're not the one that sustains everything. We're not the one that controls everything, though sometimes we think we are. We've talked about that, that anxiety is a perceived loss of control. Perceived being the key, uh, the, uh, the key thing there because it's just perceived control. We don't have control of our life. I know we often think we do, but we don't. God is in control of our life. And I don't even know how I got off on that, but it's good. Oh, I know how I got off on that. There's nothing big to God. And Paul said, if you want the peace of God to, to rule in your heart and your life, then you've got to learn to pray about everything. Paul said, but in everything, by prayer, and supplication with thanksgiving. Then he said this, let your requests be made known unto God. The word requests carries the idea of being specific. And here's where we're going to zero in tonight for the rest of our time. 
For example, when they ran out of wine at the marriage feast in Cana of Galilee, Mary just didn't look at Jesus and she just say, hey, help us. No, she said what? They ran out of wine. She was very specific. Over in Luke chapter 11 and verse 5, the, the man in the parable that, that Jesus told there was very specific when he asked his friend for help. He said, friend, lend me three loaves. Would you agree with me tonight that that's much different than just saying, hey, can you give me something to eat? Or can you help a brother out? And listen, that dude may have just brought him a can of Spam or something. <laughs> no, he was very specific. Three loaves. I believe Paul is, is teaching us here to be specific. Now church, don't miss this tonight, please. He's teaching us here to be specific in our request. And I think there are at least three reasons why. And here's number one if you're taking notes. A specific prayer is a serious prayer. If I were to say to Brother Nick, hey, Brother Nick, do you mind if I come over sometime? He's going to say, yeah, whatever. He's not going to think that's, I'm very serious about that. But if I say to him, hey, Brother Nick, do you mind if I come over this Friday night? I've got some issues at work, and, and I really need some help. I could use some, some input from you if you don't mind. I'd be there about 7. I promise I wouldn't stay any later than 8. Now, do you think he would think I was more serious about it? Why? Because I was more specific. I mean, what, what, what's and I do it, and, and I know you do it. And I'm hoping tonight will be a reminder that we, that we shouldn't do it. When, when we just say to God, God bless me, or God help me, how do we know when he's doing it? Listen, the fact that we get up, got up out of bed this morning, was he blessed us, and he helped us. But I'm guessing when you pray that, that's not what you were talking about. I'm thinking in your mind you had something very specific that you wanted God to do. But here's, here's how you prayed it. God bless me. God help me. God bless my marriage. God help my family. And you've got some very specific things in mind that you want God to do in your, in your marriage. And you've got some very specific things that you want God to do in your family. And they're specific in your mind. Just say them. Be specific with God because specific prayer is serious prayer. It's one thing for us to say, Lord, please bless my meeting tomorrow. But it's something altogether different to say, Lord, I have a conference with my, my supervisor tomorrow at 2 o'clock and he intimidates me. Would you please give me a, some peace of mind tonight so I can get some good rest? Would you please give me wisdom so I can be prepared for that meeting tomorrow? Would you please soften his heart toward me so he'll treat me with respect? And would you let both of us benefit from our time together? Now, which of those do you think are going to reach God's heart quicker? I mean, when you say, God, would you just bless my meeting tomorrow, what you're thinking in your mind is this, I really need to get a good night's rest. I really need to know how to approach that meeting. I really need my boss to be in a good mood and have a, 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 a tender heart toward me. And we really both need to benefit from this meeting. That's what you're thinking. And if that's what you're thinking, then just say it. Does that make sense? Listen, we're much more serious when we're more specific. And so that's why Paul asked us to be specific in our praying. God, help me with my anxiety. Well, what does that mean? What is it that's causing the anxiety? And what is it that you want God to do? Don't be afraid to ask him. 
Don't be afraid to be specific about people who are causing anxiety, about relationships that are causing anxiety, about situations that are causing anxiety, uh, 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 about work-related circumstances and situations that are, that are causing anxiety. Be very specific. God, give me direction. Okay. In what? Well, God, you, yeah, he does. He does know. He does know. Just like your wife knows that you love her. And your husband knows that you love him. But every now and then, they just want to hear it. Well, they already know it. Yeah, I got that. But I like every now and then when my wife says, I love you. I liked it this morning when I went in and she was walking on the treadmill and I went to kiss her goodbye and she said, you look handsome today. Well, yeah. <laughs> What's different today than any other day? I didn't say that. I thought that, but I, no, I didn't. I should have said, well, what do you mean handsome? Be specific. She could have said something like this. I like your head. Right, Bradley? <laughs> Bradley and Kayla's daughters, all, I just, if you didn't see this, this was funny. She's always, she always telling Kayla, I like your hair. Mama, I like your hair. And so I think it was yesterday she said, Daddy, I like your head. <laughs> She's being specific. Be specific with God. Because specific prayers are serious prayers. Last Wednesday night, I don't know if any other choir members picked up on this, but last Wednesday night after choir practice, Brother Tyler prayed a very specific prayer. He didn't just say, Lord, bless the services on Sunday. Here's what he, I, and I don't, I, I, I can't quote it verbatim. I don't know everything he prayed about, but I know when he prayed about the end of the service and the invitation, he was very specific. He said, Lord, help those that are lost to pray with the pastor. And help them to raise their hand, acknowledging that they prayed. And then help them to get up from where they are and go to the back. That's pretty specific. I mean, that's much more specific than what most of us would have prayed. God bless our services on Sunday. Am I getting the point across? Specific prayer is serious prayer. So if you're serious about God stepping in and helping you with your anxiety, then be specific in what you're asking Him to do. And then here's the second thing. Specific prayer is an opportunity for us to see God at work. Again, when we, when we just pray and ask God to help us or bless us, then, then how do we know that he's doing what we ask him to do? If you have your Bibles, go to Genesis 24 real quick tonight. Genesis chapter 24. I want to show you a perfect example of praying a specific prayer and then watching God work in a very specific way. Genesis chapter 24. Abraham sent his servant back to his homeland to get a bride for his son Isaac. And so when the servant gets there, look at verse 12, Genesis 24, verse 12. And, the, and he said, the servant said, this is his prayer. O Lord God of my master Abraham, I pray thee, send me good speed this day and show kindness unto my master Abraham. Now, he could have stopped right there. And that's where most of us would have prayed, God bless me today. But he goes on, Behold, I stand here by the well of water, and the daughters of the men of the city come out to draw water. And let it come to pass that the damsel to whom I shall say, Let down thy pitcher, I pray thee, that I may drink, and she shall say, drink, and I will give thy camels drink also. Let the same be she 
that thou hast appointed for thy servant Isaac. And thereby shall I know that thou hast showed me kindness unto my master. I mean, your boss sends you to fetch a wife for his son. I said, how do you know which woman to choose? And so he was very specific. God let her do this. When I say this, let her respond by saying this. He was very specific in his praying. And look what the result was, beginning in verse 15. And it came to pass, before he had done speaking, that behold, Rebekah came out, who was born of Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, with her pitcher upon her shoulder. And the damsel was very fair to look upon, a virgin, neither had any man known her. And she went down to the well and filled her pitcher and came up. And the servant ran to meet her and said, Let me, I pray thee, drink a little water of thy pitcher. And she said, Drink, my lord. And she hasted and let down her pitcher upon her hand and gave him drink. And when she had done giving him drink, she said, I will draw water for thy camels also until they have done drinking. Specific prayer is an opportunity for us to see God at work. So when we pray specifically, God, would you please do this? Would you please do this? Would you please do that? Would you do this other thing? And then when we watch and see God do this, and God do this, and God do this other thing, we get to see Him at work in our lives and church listen to me you know what that's going to do for me and for you it's going to increase our faith we're going to be like boom god just did what i asked him to do and so the next time we pray and we're specific with god we're going to pray in faith believing because if God's done it once, he can do it twice. Does that make sense? And then here's the third thing, real quick. Specific prayer is a way to capitalize on God's promises. One of the best things that we can do is learn to populate our prayers with God's promises. God, you promised in Isaiah 43 that you would be with me when I walk through the waters. God, you promised in Psalm 23 that you would be with me through the valley. You promised to supply my needs in Philippians chapter 4. You promised that you would never leave me nor forsake me in Hebrews 13. You promised in Isaiah 40, 29 that you would give strength to the weary and power to the weak. In James 1, you promised wisdom. In Isaiah 26, you promised peace. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, you promised a way out of temptation. In 1 John, you promised to forgive me of my sins. Listen, church, let me encourage you to do this tonight. Find a promise that fits your problem and build your prayers around it. God loves it when you pray his word back to him. It's no different than, than, than me saying, hey, Nick, you, you remember a couple weeks ago you said you'd promise, you, you promised you'd come help me when, when I was getting ready to build my fence. Now, he's, he's not going to take offense at that. I'm reminding him. And listen, when you and I pray say god you remember over there in psalm 23 when when you promised to walk through with me through the valley god's not going to be offended by that and so specific prayer gives us the opportunity to capitalize on god's promises now let me say here that none of this is an endorsement of the demanding conditional prayer that presumes to tell God what to do and when. 
That's not what I'm talking about tonight. Listen, we never go to God and demand Him to do anything. No. So that's not what I'm saying, nor do I suggest that the power of prayer is in using the right formula or, or quoting some secret code. Listen, God is neither impressed nor manipulated by our formulas or our eloquence, but He is, listen, He is moved by our sincerity and by our specificity. He loves it when we're specific. After all, He is our Father. And as His children, we honor Him when we tell Him exactly what we need. Here's the last thought tonight. The path to peace is paved with prayer. So pray Pray, pray. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I don't know how God may have spoken to your heart tonight. I, I don't know what specific things that you would ask Him to do for you. But I do know this. He wants you to be specific. I don't know what anxieties, what fears, what cares, what concerns you carried in here with you tonight. But I know that he doesn't want you to just come pray and say, God, help me. He wants you to be specific about that person, about that problem, about that situation, about that need. I want you to be specific about that. So would you do that tonight? As the piano 